This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Everybody, it's overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew, and we are jumping in. We got one more book in November to tell you about. Um, <laughs> it's been like ten ish days since Andrew it's and been I have a week and a half a since we've made any content, and usually we're making like two to three units of content in a week. Yes, like a calendar week. Yes. so it's we're a little rusty. I feel like yeah. So we're gonna feel rusty like a sword that hasn't been drawn out of its scabbard in a while. Mm-hmm. One you might find mm-hmm. in a fantasy novel, like a some kind of fantasy novel. Does the sword have a name? Um, no, not usually, actually. You don't have a lot of swords with names. Sometimes they have special markings that denote things. And sometimes they're made out of like a special kind of metal that nobody's been able to manufacture since the age of legends. <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> if you had a sword and you were going to name it, what would you name it? Steven. Mm, okay. I just pulled that right out of my butt really fast, but I feel like the to give sword? it a normal, like a normal, no, the name. I feel, but to give it a normal person name, like a regular person name, sure. Like Chris, this is my sword, Chris. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What would you name yours? Um, or would it even be a sword? Would it be like a knife that your when, dad gave? When I was a kid and we would play pretend. Hi, we're going to talk about uh, the first book in the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. By Robert Jordan, yeah, you're just going to mm-hmm. tell me about it. Um, I always was the kid who played with like a stick, like it was a bow staff or a spear. Sure, sure, sure. So sure. maybe I would have a spear and it would be named Regret. <laughs> like your regret or the regret of the person on the other end of it. Both, depending. Like <laughs> okay. I think if I had, if there was a fancy novel about me, like I would get this spear and I would be hitting people and like thinking it was about their regrets, and then the big turn at the end would be that it was my regrets all along. It just feels like if Streetcar Named Desire was actually like a part of a series of stories about <laughs> objects with <laughs> names, like a streetcar named Desire, a spear named Regret. <laughs> Uh, frisbee named Miss like what's the what's another thing? <laughs> remembrance a frisbee, a frisbee named a remembrance f- a frisbee named greed. Oh sure, that's good. That's my favorite Matt Christopher novel. Um, so Andrew, tell me a little bit about why we are reading Eye of the World by Robert Jordan. So this is Remember November. It's the last month of of that month. The last week. Heck yeah, that's <laughs> of it. The month. Jeez. And this month we are breaking the rule of the show, which is normally that we are reading a book that we've never read before. This is a book that I've read several times before. In fact, I think I've spent more time in total with this like series of books just by virtue of its size and length than with probably anything else that we've done for the show, including I think Tolkien. Like there it's a kind of a draw. Okay. Okay. In terms of the number of times I've been over them and like the the impact they'd had on my young reading life. Sure. Um 
So the uh, the Eye of the World is the first book of the Wheel of Time series, which is a fourteen book fantasy series. Yeah, written by uh, James Oliver Rigney, who's also known as as Robert Jordan. James Oliver Rigney um, Jr. Excuse me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, he was and, born in um, 1948, and he passed away in 2007. Yeah, which is important, for, not just because like we lost him and he was actually kind of young, um, but that. The series was unfinished. Yeah, right? it was unfinished. Like he had made it to book eleven, and he intended to write one more. Like the book at at various points, I think was planned to be six, and then eight, <laughs> and then like I don't remember all the all the different ending points. But for a while, it was going to be twelve. Yes. While he was working on that last book, he passed away. And then Brandon Sanderson, who have we read him for the show? I feel like yeah. we've read one of the I lesser read, Brandon Sanderson. No, I read books the for the, the show. first of the Mistborn series, which is oh, right. well okay. regarded, but he has some other some other series as well. I think we and we talked about the Wheel of Time a bit. A little Mistborn had gotten him some attention, but then his finishing of the Wheel of Time, I think, elevated him. Because these were all like the last few books in this series were all like number one New York Times bestsellers. Yes, and so he comes into that and he writes the the last the, the last book is split into three volumes. He writes those. Yes, and um, wraps up in 2013, I think. And then since then, his profile has been been a little bit higher. Yeah, but it has. Um, so, Mister, uh, we'll focus mostly on Jordan because he wrote this one and wrote most of them. And Sanderson's finishing of the series was based on his notes for it. So. Correct. Um, Jordan, uh, Mister Rigney Jr., um, had many pseudonyms. Andrew, um, he was asked <laughs> in a 1997 interview why he decided on Robert Jordan. Um, is it a Hemingway reference? Because that's the name of the the protagonist for from for whom the bell tolls. Um, he said, "No, it wasn't Hemingway. I simply wanted to separate the different kinds of books that I write with different names, and I made lists of names with my real initials and picked one name from one list and one from another. And Robert Jordan was one of the names that popped out. So he had a spreadsheet <laughs> and just <laughs> picked some names." A pseudonym um, spreadsheet. Yes, he wrote historical fiction under the name Reagan O'Neill. Um, he wrote a Western as Jackson O'Reilly. Uh, mm. And he also wrote some dance criticism as Chang Lung. Which, Wait, what kind of... Is that just Wang Chung? No, I don't really know. <laughs> and when asked in an interview about, like, would that ever be republished anywhere, he said, no one wants to read that, which also is a good way to, like, dance to away people... from using Chang Lung as your pseudonym, dude. Yeah, like, that's not great, but also there's no way to make someone want to read something more than being like, oh, no, you don't want to read yeah, that. Yeah, not helpful, buddy. Like, you told me that, and... I, instantly like what did robert jordan what did you have to say about dance but he, he wrote in so many different genres it seems um that he was like it's it's of the a lot we've had a lot of authors who were like eh, i want to write this other genre i don't want people to be grappling with it as a robert jordan book etc etc well and especially I, I don't think it's so much the case now because what was once like geek culture has become yes that's true that's true like just pop culture but for a long time for decades and decades like throughout sci-fi and fantasy people had this this fear of being pigeonholed, pigeonholed. Yep. like both authors and like performers like all the star trek original series huh uh performers had their like journey that they had to make <laughs> where they just kind of accepted what what star trek had been for them sure. but um but yeah i think i think that plays a part in here too it's like you you have you feel like you need to have this pseudonym so you can write these quote-unquote 
like trashy or like poppy books. Yes. And then if you want to do something more serious, then your name remains unsullied. That's true. That's true. Um, so Jordan, um, what he in one of his author profiles claimed that he was reading by the age of four um, and was reading Twain and Jules Verne by the age of five. Okay, humble brag, sir. Well, were you? <laughs> were you? Um, I mean, I was reading The Green Eggs and Ham by <laughs> four or five. Uh, he attended. I could write a fantasy novel. <laughs> hey, I bet you could. He attended the Citadel in North Carolina, which is a military school, and then he's. I think he studied physics there. He did do two tours in Vietnam, um, and then started writing seriously in 1977. He wrote seven Conan the Barbarian books for tour kind of great which is kind of cool um and they were they were doing so well that he pitched what became the wheel of time series to his editor tom doherty got a six book deal as you mentioned earlier um and the first book this one was published in 1990 mm-hmm. um and then the second one also was published in 1990 so for the for, for a while and this kind of reflects the pacing in the books themselves which will talk about in a little bit for a while he was doing at least one of these a year huh and then it felt like he slowed down but he still was doing one every like two to three years until he died oh gosh which feels like maybe not a lot but then you compare it to george rr R. martin who writes like one book every 27 years yeah that's true and seems to be doing everything he possibly can to avoid like writing these books and it's i, I think he has a <laughs> Or jo- Jordan had a warmer and more like enthusiastic relationship, I think, with the world he created. And I'm projecting a lot on George R. R. Martin, sure, but sure. I don't think there's an explanation for the rate of writing he does that doesn't have its roots in like becoming disinterested or becoming like hemmed in by narrative decisions that he made. And yep. just, or just like I buy that. Like he he is writing like every writer who's ever gotten halfway through a thing and decided they <laughs> didn't want to finish it. <laughs> the only difference is that a lot of people are paying attention. That's true. Um, so as we said, uh, Jordan was unable to finish the series in his lifetime. He unfortunately suffered from cardiac amyloidosis, um, and then he knew and with he had enough time to like start planning for not finishing the twelfth book and getting his notes in order. Um, and he'd written a lot of yes, it too. Like I think the la- like the last part in the last book is him. Oh, and sure. Other okay. than that, I don't think Sanderson or um, uh, Jordan's uh, widow uh, Harriet McDougall, I think yes, is her, that's name, her name, who was, she was also his editor for many years. And then they also had another person or two who was like just in charge of tracking continuity. Makes sense. Makes <laughs> who sense. they hired like pretty pretty close to the end, but um. Uh, yeah, they they haven't commented publicly. I don't think on what parts are Sanderson and what parts. That's aren't. wise. That's wise. Yeah. Um, this is a quote from Sanderson on being selected. Um, after Jordan's death, his wife read through novels by several authors who Tom Doherty from Tor and others had suggested. Uh, McDougal enjoyed my books and chose me partially because of my novels and partially because she had read my eulogy of Mr. Jordan and knew that I was a big fan and follower of the series. So on Sanderson's website, he had posted, um, which like it seems like authors have started to do more frequently um, as like they all have their online brands and it's just a, a way to communicate their own like reading habits and, and fandoms to their own fans. Um, I see that kind of happen a lot within the like 
various genre communities. Um, but when Jordan passed, he in his eulogy kind of talks about how much it meant to him, but then also how it impacted his own writing. So this is a, a passage I found interesting. I found myself reacting against Wheel of Time in my writing, not because I disliked Jordan, but because I felt he'd captured the epic quest story so well that I wanted to explore new grounds. As his books chronicled sweeping scenes of motion set behind characters traveling all across his world, I started to set mine in single cities. As his stories focused on peasants who became kings, I began to tell stories about kings who became peasants. Um, and as you brought up Mistborn, and I was remembering that, like, yeah, that's basically confined to a city, and there are allusions to the world out there and whatnot, but it's a it's a smaller scale, even if it has, like, grander implications, um, mm-hmm. where even, like, from the get-go in Tolkien, you're like, yep, whole world, whole thing, we're dealing with everything, it's the whole kick and boodle, you guys. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's kind of the case in in the Wheel of Time as well, but it's it's something I remember about this this first book is how small it does seem. Oh, interesting. Cool. In, compa- in comparison to later books, even though it is multiple point of view characters who are split up for a while, um, all kind of crisscrossing this map and and trying to get from one like remote point of it to another remote point of it. It feel it feels small because it focuses on a small group of people with a single task at hand. Where, like, by the time you hit like the fourth or the fifth the book, it has expanded to this giant like political drama that <laughs> involves multiple people doing multiple things in multiple places. Cool. Um, and the last thing is just they recently, uh, I think Amazon picked, like announced that they're going to make a TV series out of this. Yeah. Uh, There was like some random episode or pilot of something that aired in like 2015 or 2013 Mm -hmm. on FXX because of like rights being held by NBC or something like that. And then after some legal disputes, I think uh, McDougal was able to secure some sort of deal with Amazon and they're yeah that was a a weird I I never saw that I never watched it but it was a weird bit of. Like, you know how they have to make a Marvel movie every four yes. years or the rights elapse or whatever <laughs> yep. that deal is. It was, it was definitely like just on a surface level was definitely that. Yeah. It's <laughs> the whole like Spider-Man conundrum. But it's um so it's the whole series is sold. Um, This is more than 80 million copies worldwide as of 2017. Mm. And it's the best selling epic fantasy series since The Lord of the Rings, which I might just be a. I wonder if that's just by virtue of having 14 <laughs> books in it. I'm not sure. It's possible. It's, it's interesting that this series is like the, the book footprint definitely like matches or exceeds anything that the Song of Ice and Fire series True. has ever True. hit. But because of TV, I think the Game of Thrones stuff has reached a wider audience and like definitely has a, a level of like pop cultural cachet that wheel of time doesn't have yet maybe the amazon series will change that i don't know i would be more confident if amazon (laughs) and their studios had a better track record than they do yeah if right now it's like you've got tolkien you've got harry potter and you've got song of ice and fire and harry potter doesn't fit cleanly into those into like that lesser extent like your twilights and your hunger games is depending on what you want to count as being part of this tradition or not but 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 jordan feels more in conversation with tolkien and martin than for sure, than even yeah. something like harry potter um mm-hmm. cool well let's take a quick break andrew and then i'm excited for you to tell me about this book 
I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. Okay, who is it? Craig, it's Zola. Z-O-L-A. They are the easiest way to plan your wedding and register. They give you a free wedding website, your dream wedding registry, affordable save-the-dates and invitations, and easy-to-use planning tools all in one. And they let you conveniently manage all of that online and in one place. Um, If you start a free wedding website with them, um, they have over 100 beautiful wedding website designs to choose from. And they make it easy to personalize your favorite design with all your wedding details. You can add photos, stories about how you met your spouse, your future spouse, um, (laughs) travel and accommodations information. And uh, you can also create an FAQ section. That's important. Um, then, then after you've started your website, you can build your dream registry at Zola. They make registering for newlywed life so easy, Craig. It's so easy. That's good. They have a wide selection of gifts at all different price points. There's something for every guest to give. Guests love free shipping and returns, price matching, and more. And they have products from over 500 top brands including OXO, Cuisinart, Sonos, and Airbnb. So if that all sounds good to you, start your free wedding website and get $50 off your registry. Go to Zola.com slash overdue. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash overdue. And if you uh, if you want, uh, they give you a 20% discount on anything on your registry that people don't buy. Oh, nice. Which is a, it's a pretty common thing, but when, when we did it, we had to go back into a physical store and like hunt down the individual butter dish that we had tagged like six months before. Oh, God. <laughs> to, so we could get our discount off of it. So, yeah, 20% off for up to six months after your wedding. That's pretty cool. Um, so, again, that's Zola.com slash overdue, Z O L A.com slash overdue. Andrew, this week's podcast is brought to us by the fine folks at Bombas Socks. They make oh, nice. They make socks. Some might say the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. Have you heard about them? Yeah, I have heard about them. Tell me more. I will tell you more. Um, they're very <laughs> comfy socks that I, you and I have worn and we both like. Um, I'm wearing them right now. How are they feeling? They feel great because it's cold and I have cold extremities. <laughs> so they did a lot of work to engineer socks uh, that are comfortable and won't fall off. Um, they've got a cool seamless toe. I think that's my favorite feature is like, it's not like there's not a bump going over your toes. I like that seamless toe. I like that seamless toe. Um, Bombas also for every pair sold, they will donate a pair, um, because you, a peon cannot donate used socks. Um, actually I don't think anybody can donate used socks. So Bombas is going (laughs) to donate brand new socks on your behalf. Only the president. (laughs) That's they don't tell you. They tell you about Area 51 and they ask for all your used socks. Um, mm-hmm. Bombas socks are also engineered for everyone's every day. So you can get uh, like business casual socks. You could get workout socks. You could get fancy socks. They have all sorts of options for uh, going outside or staying indoors. Um, Andrew, what's a word that you would use to describe how the socks feel right now on your feet? Safe. Ooh, no one's taking your feet. They're safe behind those socks. They're safe. They're protected. So if you, our listener, want to find out more about Bombas Socks and you want to get 20% off your first order, go to bombas.com slash overdue. That's bombas. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com. And you'll get 20% off your first order. Bombas.com slash overdue. Again, the code is overdue. Keep your feet safe. Keep them secret. (laughs) Keep them safe. (laughs) Thank you.
You ready to you ready to turn this wheel? Turn that wheel. Make a left. Make a right. Teach me. Teach me how to. Teach me how to wheel. Teach me. Teach me how to wheel. <laughs> <laughs> so I have not done. I, I'm gonna. And we talked about this before the show. I have not done any research specifically for this show. I'm just going Whoa. with what I've known okay. from like half a lifetime of reading Wheel of Time. So you don't need. So what you're saying is you don't need to do the research because you're an I don't expert. Need a, where we're going, we don't need a map. Okay. So tell me everything you want to about this book i guess i'm curious to know where you want to start because I, de- I definitely don't want to do blow by blow plot things because it's just too long and yeah and sure sort of dense for that but um according to wikipedia like, the first book's audiobook is 29 and a half hours long so I that's, don't, pretty, that's a lot of hours. that's more hours than we have today so what i first want is like the setup what's the pitch what is happening in this world like who's in it and what okay. do they want to do we're gonna skip a little prologue because it, it whatever it's a prologue whatever. relevant yeah well, no it becomes relevant later in ways that i just don't want to get into right right the minute <laughs> right the moment so all right you've got this little village in the middle of nowhere okay called the two rivers okay and two rivers folk are farmers they're they're hardworking. they're humble they're stubborn but they're mostly good people, but they're just like way far out of the way. Nobody from any kingdom or anything cares about them. They always get the news last and they don't mind because they're just way out of the way and it's fine. Okay. They have, they have their troubles. They have their victories. They just live their lives, mm-hmm. eat good food. They're hobbits. Yes. They're not they're, hobbits. Well, but they're you, people. Where but... it's little, it's a, it seems a little shyery. Like we're in this kind of like tucked away corner of the world where yeah, bad they're stuff like they're happen. removed and they they don't typically let the events of the world outside like get to them. So, so it's real village, America is what you're saying. It's, it's the real America. So in a <laughs> diner in rural Pennsylvania lives Rand Althor. And he knows he's got friends. He's got his friend Perrin. He's got his friend Matt. And they've got dads and stuff. <laughs> and they all just, they're all getting ready for the big spring festival. Heck Even yeah. though, hmm, it seems like spring has been a long time coming this year. Oh, it's no. still very cold. You're getting some, like, a lot of wolves, like an unusual number of wolves, like attacking the, the sheep and the cows and stuff this year. It doesn't feel a lot like spring, but we're still, you know, it's time. We're going to get ready for it. We're gonna prep. Okay. Okay. And while they are like making their way from their house to the main village, Rand spots this weird, like dark cloaked figure on a horse behind them. And the weird thing about it is that even though it's very windy out, the wind doesn't seem to be like affecting this thing's clothing. That's cool. Or anything. Okay. It's, it's moving. It's and it's very spooky. And it's very supernatural, <laughs> and it gives them a good spook. And he tries to tell his dad about it, but when they both look back, oh, it's gone. Oh. So something something is afoot. So dads seem talk- important in this book. You've mentioned dads like three times. <laughs> dads have... Okay, so it's a... The shape of the story overall is is it's there and back again, but what if you didn't go back? Oh, <laughs> sure. It's you're there and you go. But yeah, so the the like the people in this in this village stay at the center of events for like the entire rest of the series, and they don't go home 
usually at all. Like, and if they do, they're very changed and like very different. Okay. Because of the, you know, they've seen more of the world and because other things have happened to them, but still they carry their like upbringing and their, like their roots with them. Is there a sense that they're, that these boys need to like overcome their, oh, well things are just kind of fine where we live mentality. Not really overcome it, but they do like, I think they all do fight against the things that they are pushed into. Sure. Yeah. Because, you know, they are, they just want to go their own way. They want to be independent. They want to be stubborn. They want to go to the diner in Pennsylvania and just do what they want. Yeah. You, and they don't want anybody telling them what to you do. You know how you like your omelet? Why change? They don't want anyone pulling the strings. Sure. Sure. Um. So Rand gets to town and he talks to his, his friend Perrin, who's like a blacksmith's apprentice. And he's a very big boy. And he's, he is thoughtful and he's intelligent and he's like lived his whole life being really big. And so he has to be like careful not to like break things or hurt people. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that informs like the way that his personality is. And then his friend Matt, who's like a puckish, like mischievous prankster boy. Um, but they have all seen, and a couple other people like around their age have also seen this like mysterious cloaked figure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like, they don't, they, like Rand talks to Matt about it first and because Matt has also seen it, he's like, well now nobody's going to believe me because Matt is always, he like pulled a prank like earlier today. And so nobody's (laughs) going to think that nobody's going to think this happened to me if I come in here with just Matt. Oh no. Okay. Um, so they're all like, as they, as they prepare for this festival, like you've got other people coming into town. You've got like what is called a gleeman. It's basically a bard, like a, it's spelled glee man. Oh, so all he, one word. He makes the glee happen. He makes glee happen with his tales and his songs. Sure. And you've got this mysterious lady <laughs> and her like armed guard who have come into town and they seem like they are much finer and like much better dressed than the people who are normally in the two rivers for this kind of thing. It's, they just kind of stick out like a sore thumb and a couple other people. And they've just, you know, everybody's gathering together and stuff's going to happen. Okay. Oh boy. So Rand and his dad go home. They do the chores. They settle in. Like Rand's going to read a book. His dad's going to like sharpen a knife or something and whatever, <laughs> whatever dads, whatever medieval dads whatever, do, whatever dads do. And so up up until now, the book has moved like fairly slowly. Like I've covered a lot of, I've I feel like I'm going I'm moving pretty quickly. But this is like a few chapters, okay. just kind of anchoring you in these characters and the people they know and their mindset and the two rivers and and kind of getting you comfortable in not the world of the book, but like the world of the characters. Yes, they're giving you a sense because you're because as you said, you're not going to come back here in any books maybe in a, in a right like this is gonna stop being normal and then it won't be normal again ever great so okay. you've got it you t- it, jordan takes a lot of time like establishing what normal is sure sure including a lot of other like supporting characters okay um so what happens is their door gets busted down by this thing that is like part goat man and he has like hooves and he's big and he smells bad. And these are Trollocks or Trollocks. I don't, I'm not sure how you would pronounce them. Let's say Trollocks. Great. T-R-O-O-L-L-O-C. Okay. Okay. And they are monsters that are like, they have definitely exist, but because, you know, this village is pretty far out of the way and they're kind of protected 
by these like these like bordered cities like way far away that that kind of keep these kinds of things from making it down where where like uh, like normal people live they are considered to be like children's tales by most people. Like sure. Most people have not seen one of these like in living memory. One of these moments where like it's been a generation since someone saw a monster. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. And so Rand's dad gets hurt and Rand just barely manages to escape. And he's like dragging his dad. His dad is taking this wound that is poisoned. Like he seems fine for a while, but then he kind of passes out and is feverish and things are just going poorly and Rand knows I need to get it back to I need to get him back to town and I need to bring him to like our our healer person and we need to like I need to help my dad out um and while his dad is being pulled he's like muttering things and through his mutterings Rand gets it in his head that whoa maybe I'm not my dad's kid for real maybe he found me and brought me home from somewhere else oh no Uh uh-huh so that okay, that opens the door immediately to uh, like, what's special about Rand? Why was he mm-hmm. left on a doorstep? Mm-hmm. Where did where did he get found? Mm-hmm. Like maybe he's a uh, maybe he's our like once and future king. Maybe maybe he's our, maybe something like that. Maybe he's our <laughs> insert Jesus figure here. Mm-hmm. You know what's the, the he's the Kitsot's hat rack. You know who knows what? Yeah, he is. the the um, Quidditch, the Quidditch hat rack. Yeah, <laughs> Quidditch hat rack. <laughs> he might be one of those. So he gets to town, and oh, the the village has also been attacked by these things. No. by like a hundred of these things. Oh, I can hear the by, sad like, Final by, Fantasy music now. By yeah, right where the tile set has been changed out for the like the fire and everything is all the red now. Roofs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um. So this late that mysterious lady, her name's Moraine. She is she That's is a good Scottish name. Yeah, yeah. She's she's been revealed to be this sort of magician. Um, the name of them is the Ice Sedai. This book just throws you right into the deep end with its names and its lore and its like having a special language for every single thing that happens. It's so it's. It's weird to like talk about it out loud because I don't talk about it with that many people. Yeah, I know about it for. I remember. I remember when people started like seeing Game of Thrones and like characters' names were different than what they thought they were. Like from Mm -hmm. reading books, because some of this stuff is yeah, you just never say it out loud. Is this so? I was thinking about some of the other fantasy books we've read even this year. because since you've read so many, I end up usually reading more of them for the show. So right. like stuff, for the same reason that I read all the um, the capital L literature, yeah, all the books from by, the Iowa writer, Writers Workshop, yep. white boys. Yes. Um, so like I've read the Broken Earth trilogy or the, or the first book thereof, um, Darker Shade of Magic, and as we mentioned, Mistborn, and they all have this like they all have kind of rule sets and. Uh, character casts that are usually defined by usually by magic or something like that um is that like readily apparent in this book or does it kind of dole it out in spurts it doles it out and it definitely it like it doles it out over the course of this book and then over you know over the next few books as characters like characters who had no exposure to this kind of magic and this kind of stuff as they become like practitioners of it and like experience with it it becomes 
actually increasingly like regimented in video game like sure okay like like what is what is in early books like a vague sort of sense of one person being like more powerful in this kind of magic than other people in like later books and in i think like the companion thing that came out is like yeah this is this like this person is power level like 46 (laughs) and here is a ranking of all like 300 characters who you meet in the series that can do magic and where they rank on the scale um yeah it gets very dbz very quickly yeah, but in this in in this book, like you know that okay, Moraine is an ice Sedai. She's a wizard, Harry. Sure. And these people, and they're all women. Okay. And we're, we'll talk a bit about like gender, especially relative to other like contemporary and and prior like fantasy. Sure. Um, sure. In a little bit. But um, like she is, like there is a city of these people basically, and there is a lot of distrust for them because they like use magic. Yeah, and there there are a lot of stories about things that they may or may not have done that may or may not have been distorted by time and distance and like games of of telephone. But she's not innately immediately trusted, but also she's helping like immolate these monsters yes. with fireballs and heal people who have been hurt. So she heals Rand's dad. Okay. And then she says, okay, Rand, Matt, Perrin, and then like a few other people, like you guys need to come with me because these monsters are here for you. Oh, so that's why she was coming to the festival. Yeah. Like she didn't, she didn't bring the monsters with her. Like the monsters and her showed up in this place at the same time for the same reason. Okay. Okay. Which is that, and and I'm not I don't remember 100% when this brings up when this comes up in the book I don't think it's right at this place but essentially this giant dark force is the dark lord yep the dark one um is searching for boys in this part of the world who were born in this like 4 to 6 week span of time whoa so that encompasses Rand and his friends like Okay. All right. Is it revealed in this book why? Yes. Okay. Is it a kind major of. spoiler to yeah. say so? It might be. It's a ma- it's a major spoiler to say so, but it's so this is kind of where I want to stop doing plot stuff. I mean, we could talk a little bit about we'll, other we'll characters. We'll bop around. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Gleeman, his name is Tom, but with a H T H O M yeah. goes with them. Um, he has like a nephew with a tragic past, and he sees something of his nephew in these two rivers guys and so he wants to try and help them out okay because his nephew had a brush with ice Sedai that didn't end well for him um there is a uh, girl named Egwene who is Rand's like love interest or like they had been it's a it's a small village and when boys and girls get to a marriageable age like their parents have kind of been like yeah my daughter my son's gonna marry your daughter right like they're kind of promised to each other in a way is it like oh they were friendly so we might as well just force them to get married in like it's an our town way that like they are they are interested in each other sure. but their parents like saw it coming yeah 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 okay um there is a naive who is a she's the wisdom, which is what Wait. the healer person in the two rivers is called. Capital W, yeah, like wisdom. You're our wisdom. Yeah, I dig it. I actually really uh-huh. dig it. Okay, cool. Um, Warren's like bodyguard's name is Lan, like the local area network, <laughs> <laughs> and he's a warder who is a specific kind of soldier guy 
who's bonded to like Aes Sedai and and is like his life is intertwined with hers like irrevocably, but then he also gets like special buffs. Yeah, sure. In battle and stuff from that. So I do and, I did um for an afternoon make uh, in high school, um, I had a girlfriend who was into the Wheel of Time, and oh we had been playing some role playing games in the library after school. And like, she had gotten the Wheel of Time, whatever Wheel of Time book that came out. I think it must have been based off of some other system that existed at the time. And mm-hmm. so, like, some of these words make sense to me because they were options in the character creation process. (laughs) But they do, even as you say them, like it does feel like... It's like tickling the back of your mind It is. And so like in you think about the timeline, like in between Tolkien and Jordan writing these books in 1990, there is the invention of Dungeons and Dragons and what it took from Tolkien and like turned into a bunch of stuff that has like... It's just a thing you have to deal with in fantasy, whether or not you're dealing with it directly, I think. For a lot of people, yeah. anyway. And, and and it's certainly, for me, someone who has more experience like dipping in and out of games that have been heavily influenced from, from D&D than even books. Like It's a thing in the back of my mind whenever I'm reading fantasy of just like, yeah. what are we... Are we dealing with the the elves and the dwarves and what did you do with elves and dwarves this time and <laughs> and how do wizards learn their magic if they learn it like all that stuff yeah okay so and um, i, I, I want to know sorry i want to know how the two rivers guys like how much of this are they familiar with like you said they have the wisdom in their town do they know about what do they know about how i well, like, work well okay so we'll Man, there's a lot. Okay, there's a lot to unpack. First, I wanted to say about like talking about like systems in books that are set up to have like very specific rules that then you, the reader, has to learn to like have a hope of understanding what what goes on. I I can definitely understand why people would find that tedious and like not particularly fun. Sure. But I also think that like if you. Like Jordan's rules, like he throws new curveballs in pretty regularly but they're justified they're they're mostly justified by like people rediscovering knowledge that that used to be lost or yes like because of specific things about the world that he set up that we can also talk about like it it just it makes sense that he would add new things as he adds new things the alternative to that i think is kind of a harry potter type thing where the world stops making like the systems stop to make stop making intuitive sense as you go later in those books because I don't know but because like you get into these plot corners and then you have to like invent something to like write you out of it I feel like the like things that happen in the sixth and seventh books of Harry Potter definitely seem out of whack with stuff that can happen in like the first three or four of them sure i would say sure there's um i, I don't we don't need to spend too much time on them because they could be their own podcast but in like last year there were two essays that were published one is called against world building by lincoln uh michelle or michael and one in defense of world building by emily temple which <laughs> is a response to the first um one the first was for electric literature and the second was for lit hub um and Lincoln is kind of talking about like when is world built like quote unquote realistic logical world building 
um, like imposing realism on genres that don't need it? And when is it kind of overtaking what should be a really interesting plot and characters? And instead you've just kind of like figured out what I think his phrase is like what do goblins use to wipe their baby's butts or something like what, <laughs> like all the way down to the tiniest detail and contrasting that with something like, well, why do the Eagles show up at the end of Lord of the Rings? It's because it's more interesting, not because Tolkien like cared about whether or not it made logical sense. And then Temple's response is kind of like, yeah, all of fiction is world building. And if, if, your goal is to talk about that so that people flesh out their characters better. That's great. You don't need to put that all in the book. Um, and really, it's just about like, what are you trying to give your reader? Are you trying to give them that experience where they're just, you know, salivating over every little world building detail? Or is it them uh, kind of just going along for the ride? Yeah, and it's I think Jordan has it both ways a little bit because for the for for the first few books the world building happens like pretty organically and in the service of the of the story that's that's happening and then you get into the slow part. <laughs> Uh-oh. And all these things that he's kind of built up start to buckle a little bit under their own weight and then and I think you saw this a little happen a little bit during this most recent season of Game of Thrones. Like eventually what you need to do is like end the dang thing. And it it feels so, very quick by comparison. Yeah. And so well, and so what happens is that you end up like compressing stuff and making it make less sense because listen, like it just has to end. And I if I were to end it at the pace that the middle part goes at, then we would be here for like another <laughs> five seasons books, like whatever your unit of like fictional storytelling is. Sure. Sure. But that, yeah, that happens in the, in the middle seasons of game of Thrones. I know my uh, Susanna just read the fifth song of ice and fire book again and was complaining about it the whole time because it just like drags, <laughs> drags, drags, drags the whole time. Sure. Um, Mother of drags. I get it that book that one anyway that's that's neither here nor there for for the eye of the world so i i'm i kind of want to be done with plot stuff now the rest of the plot is that these people all go and have adventures and they discover things that change them in ways that both kind of tells a standalone story in this book but also is mostly just setting up future books can i just ask is there a specific antagonist in this book or is it yeah okay okay so there's this there's this guy named Baalzaman <laughs> who appears to Rand and Matt and Perrin in their dreams and he has like eyes and a mouth of that look like fire sometimes. Yeah. And he's like, I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> you can't hide from me, I'm gonna get you. Okay. And so it, it I mean, a quest against him will then open up the rest quest, of the um, game. It's mainly a quest against him, but like you spend most of your time in Rand's head and so you have like a more insight into like the things that are going on around him so you can see him like change sure and, like things happen to him like a little more directly but you also get some stuff happening to Perrin where he like meets this guy with like yellow wolfy eyes and then Perrin discovers that he can like talk to wolves in his mind heck yeah and he doesn't he doesn't love that <laughs> kind of freaks him out and then um, um, Egwene and Nynaeve can like are both told that they can use this magic. Sure, okay. Egwene is really interested in it, and Nynaeve really isn't. Neat. 
So she had like she had some like healing powers and stuff already. But just what happens in this world sometimes is that people who we'll get into. Let's get into the magic system a little bit. So there are two kinds of not not anyone can learn to use this magic. Okay. There are two kinds of people who do use it. There are the kind who like have it like born in them and are going to start doing it regardless of whether they are taught or not or not they a lot of the time die because they just don't know what's happening and they can't handle it. Okay. And then there's a type of person who will, who needs to be taught, but can learn how to do it. Mm. Okay. Um, and that's like both Egwene and Nynaeve are the first kind of person. Just Egwene hasn't had happened to her yet. Sure. Sure. But, um, so, so she is like excited to go off to this magic city and learn to be a wizard. And then Nynaeve is like, well, this isn't like, I've just been, this is just me. I've just been doing this. Mm, how and dare also, you tell you came, me how to do it. And you, also, and also you came to my village and like took a lot of my charges and I don't like you very much. I don't understand your game. And I, because, because, like correlation and causation are the same thing. I I blame you for this. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so what are they doing when they are doing magic? Like is it There is okay, so there's a there's a one power, right? Capital O, capital, capital P. Capital O, capital P. Heck yeah. And there are two halves of it. There's a half that women can wield and there's a half that men can wield Interesting. in the world of the wheel of time there are two genders that's just the way that it is okay um and so because of something that happened way back like when the age of legends ended Uh-oh. they sealed the, the men and women together sealed the dark one in a prison to keep him away from the world and they sealed all of his like most trusted lieutenants in there with him but the dark ones like counterattack to that. Like his last act as he was being sealed was to taint the male half of it so that anybody who used it went mad and like ended up killing everyone who they knew and cared about. So men shouldn't use magic or else so they go men nuts. shouldn't use this magic. And so the prologue to get back to that, yeah. is you have this character named Luz Theron who is a very like prominent wizard man of his age like he's killed his wife and he's killed everybody he lives with and he's given this final moment of sanity to like realize what he's done and he like sucks a bunch of this power into himself and like just like blows up and makes a giant mountain whoa but this like the this kind of thing is happening all over the place and it was thousands and thousands of years ago and it's just remembered dimly as this thing thing called the breaking of the world great Um, But these days, um, any man who can channel this power is like hunted down by the women and cut off from it to prevent anything like this happening again. But flip side of this Uh is that there are legends that say so Luz Theron's like name is the dragon. Right. Like his his like nickname. And so Luz Theron is going to be reincarnated one day as the dragon reborn. And he's the only one who can face the dark one when he gets out of his prison again. Okay. So you get to this thing where, okay, like men can't channel, but this one guy has to be able to. Because. To, to defeat the dark one. And so what, what is happening is like some characters don't want this to happen. They think by like finding and 
killing whoever the reborn dragon is that they can prevent this from happening. Some people are like, well, this is going to happen, but we can find him and control him and then cut him off as soon as he does what he is prophesied to do. Okay. Some people are like, yeah, this is prophesied and I'm here for it. Let's go. Huh. So is it a sense? Yeah. Is there, is this going to break the cycle? Is there a cycle implied by this process? So the wheel of time is a literal thing. Oh, it's a literal thing that people talk about all the time. It's like a, it is a literal like spinning wheel. Neat. Like a, you know, spinning fabric. Okay. Um and where is it? It's it's not anywhere. It's just it just is. It's like a it's it's like <laughs> But what, I don't know. It's but not where even is like a disc world. It's just it does it's not anywhere. It's it's like a concept, but also it's literally a thing. I mm, you've lost so, me. And, and so maybe like I think the wheel is a metaphor that people use to describe the literal thing. Okay. Like the literal, like, cyclical nature of time and the, like, pattern that this wheel is weaving. Sure. And so things repeat themselves, like, endlessly. And so that's that's part of, like, like the the dragon character. Like, he's not the only guy who gets spun back out whenever, like, history needs him. Like, there are lots and lots of other historical figures who are reborn, reincarnated, as, like, the time calls for for them. Okay. And so there's this, like, endless battle between, like, the Dark One and, like, the forces of good. And the stakes here are the Dark One wants to break out. He wants to break the Wheel of Time. And he wants to end this, like, cyclical thing and just, like, be the guy. That's interesting. Okay. Because mm-hmm. usually when you hear about these, like, things always repeat stories. And, like, Song of Ice and Fire has some of this. I don't recall that Lord of the Rings has, like, a, a cyclical thing. I don't know. It doesn't really. like. And often it's just kind of a like a vague sort of history repeats itself thing, which it, which is true but it's not like it's like hitler has been reincarnated no no <laughs> like no, no some other evil guy it's it's just a sense of like people should learn from the past or things are things will repeat themselves yeah. this is like it's it's a circle I, I, like you'd say something and i'll i'll find the, i'll get the like the beginning thing that all of these books start okay. with and that'll kind of describe um, it i was just you, thinking but. about so there's a the the series, the Mass Effect series, which I think has spawned some books, but it started in Those games. are video games, right? Yeah. And they, it's a sci-fi series, but it's kind of a space opera, so it's vaguely fantasy-y. And there is a cyclical history to that universe that you kind of like learn about. And it is like an ancient evil that every generation like rises up and has to defeat um, or be subsumed. And then like a new civilization like rises up. Um, this usually when you hear about breaking the cycle, it's like, oh, we're going to be the heroes who finally make evil go away forever. I'm not used to hearing, oh, the evil guy is the one who's going to break the cycle where he gets to be evil forever. (laughs) Like it's not, it's usually the opposite. Yeah. And then, well, and the implication is that if you, if you can prevent the evil guy from doing this, maybe you'll break it the other way. Okay. 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 Like maybe, maybe, but. But also maybe you're just preserving the natural order of things hmm. like that. You get a little bit better of a sense of, of this as, as you read. But those are the basic like table stakes as set up in this in this book book. Okay. Um, Do you have the passage? So uh, so every book starts with some variant of of this. 
The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the third age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but it was a beginning. Okay. So that kind of sets it up for you, yeah? Yeah, it does. This this wind is Rand and his friends. Well, no. Like, the wind is also, it's just wind, and then a couple paragraphs later you meet Rand and the wind is, like, flapping his cloak. But it's also a metaphor. So every, every book starts metaphor. with, like, a, it's also a metaphor, but then, but it also is wind. <laughs> um, but the point of the, the point of the thing is... <laughs> The point of the thing is this has happened before, but it happened so long ago that nobody remembers yes. it. And so you don't just have a blueprint for how to do it again. Now, I could question the wisdom of all these people who know that this has happened before and has happened again, who are not like keeping really detailed notes yes. in like mithril somewhere that sure. cannot be destroyed by time. But I think the implication is that this is happening on such a wide time scale that this like loss of of knowledge can't possibly be avoided. It's like, what if there was like, what if two thousand years from now people were looking back at us, and then also trying to look back on the Roman Empire? So like, they would probably have an incomplete and not totally understood record of our time, and then of the Roman Empire, they would just like they would know possibly some just like distorted version of what we know like maybe yeah depending yeah. on like how much war or disease or natural disaster or whatever had wiped out our ability to keep good records yeah that's what was going on in um canticle for Leibowitz, which was like the cycle of in that book it was nuclear war but it was like yeah just jump a couple hundred years blow everybody up jump a couple hundred years blow everybody up and what do mm-hmm. you know what what actually lasts and, and what or is like inevitable. that that mr burns play yeah the mr even. burns play mm-hmm. <laughs> mr burns a post-electric play mm-hmm. um so what else do you want to say anything else about the magic system i have some notes from brandon sanderson actually he talks about his he has rules of magic that i think are heavily influenced by jordan yeah so so most of the actual rules of like how you learn and like there there are five different elements that are brought up i think it's like fire wind water spirit and earth are yep. the five elements and women are typically stronger in some and men were stronger in others like the, what is talked about in this book is that the greatest works of the age of legends were made by men and women together. Oh, sure. And you can't do that anymore. And so what we know now is, you know, it's it's magic still, but it is kind of a pale shadow of what we used to know. And we still live in places and use tools and like do things that we don't we don't know how they were made. We couldn't make them again. Mm. Like that knowledge has just been lost. Okay. And the fact that these tools still exist and that we still use them, but we don't even know if we're using them for what they were made for, like just drives home the extent to which even the like keepers of knowledge don't have all the information. Huh. Okay. That's a cool thing because that gets to um, the second of Sanderson's three rules that I think mostly yeah. just for his own writing. But the second yeah. one is the limitations of a magic system are more interesting than its capabilities. Mm-hmm. So like putting a fine line like drawing a line of like who can and can't use it of what it is capable of until we like change the world um 
gives you a thing to strive for, even if it's not the immediate like goal of this story. Right. And one cool. of the important limit, one of the important limitations here is that women like you're you so you're using another half of the same thing like like the basic rules are the same but women can't teach men how to use this power like they can't even see what the men are doing like women can kind of see when other women are channeling this power they can kind of they can see what they're doing with it and like how to recreate it if they're like good enough but they can't like they can't see what men are doing they don't know how to tell them what to do so this guy has to be reborn he has to channel this power to have any hope of winning, but anybody who could tell him anything about how to do it has been dead for thousands of years. Mm. And so he's either got to figure out another way to do it or he's got to like cobble it together himself, which is, is is in itself, like when you're handling a power that will eventually drive you crazy, is super dangerous yes. and could you know kill him or everyone around him before you know before this last battle could could happen. But what's kind of interesting about so what's really interesting about the Wheel of Time relative to Game of Thrones, relative to Tolkien, is that women are front and center in a lot of ways. So you are like your main character is Rand, your main character through most of the early books. Like it's usually one of the male characters, but you do get a lot of like female characters, especially as you as you push forward. But this society is like the the ultimate power is held by women. So the you know women are the only people who can use magic. The kingdom that all the two rivers people are technically subjects of even though you know they haven't seen you know queen's guards in like 100 years is a queen and and the crown passes to the eldest daughter. Hmm. It's there are a lot of very visible women in these books and they all have actual agency and power and just as often like save men from themselves as the other way around. And wherein, yet, and wherein yet. To- and yeah, well, well let me finish my yeah, thought sure. in Tolkien women like basically don't exist. That's true. Like, Arwen makes a flag and that's like, the country <laughs> It's like Arwen and Galadriel. And that's the extent and the of the spider. Excuse me. And yeah. Well, that's basically the extent of the contribution of women to the, the good, like the good fight. in Yes, Tolkien. that's true. In Song of Ice and Fire, women are present, um, but especially in the TV show, like I, I, and it does happen in the books too. I've only read the first one, and then I kind of fell off of it. But women exist and they have power, but they are also gratuitously sexualized and brutalized. Sure, like a lot. Yeah, like a lot of the time. Yeah. In in an attempt in to... in a way that doesn't it doesn't happen in, in the Wheel of Time because women can have this this kind of power and they like they they have their own roles in society and and there's a lot of like women be like this men be like this like i'm not saying that robert jordan is perfect on on gender relations because he definitely isn't but he's he is trying really hard in a way that's not like what if there was a world where women were in charge yeah okay like some 50s sci-fi thing where <laughs> like, what if women whatever the star trek planet is. is or whatever yeah. yeah right um well because that's interesting that like so some of what song of ice and fire is doing is like trying to say what if medieval europe but also all this other stuff that i made up and mm-hmm. so I think it like attempts to get away with some of that stuff by saying, well, that's the way it was. And that's like totally not helpful. Um, the other books that I've read this year, I think almost all of them have a like 
male-female pairing of main characters. And in some, it is like Broken Earth is centered on women. Um, Darker Shade and Mistborn have a like male main character that knows the ropes and then a female character that is like learning the ropes and like discovering their abilities. Um, but I don't think that either of them are set up with like women in charge. Um, Broken Earth is a little bit different, but yeah, that's interesting. And that's interesting that it's been that way for hundreds or thousands of years in this series. And even, even the, like the quote unquote natural state of things or the prior state of things was a hundred percent equal, sure, like equal sure. power sharing between the two. And even if you look at like the power structure of the two rivers, like it has a, a women's circle and like a, like the mayor who's a man and then his, his buds. But it's like, it is two different groups, like grouped by gender, but with equal power. And then often the women get it the way they want it anyway. Hmm. I guess my, my earlier and yet was the big thing you laid out earlier, which is a man needs to learn how to do magic again to save the universe. Right. Like, is that it's, you said that there's, there is, are folks who think that maybe that's not the way to go about things, but well, I mean that that is what needs to happen, but it doesn't it doesn't preclude him being helped by other people. Sure, sure, either. sure, sure. Like so, they they meet a character, a, a woman in one of the earlier towns that they go to, who can sort of see, like when when she looks at certain kinds of people, she can see like kind of symbols like swirling around them that sort of tell the future. Mm -hmm. And she becomes more of a character in later books. She's only briefly mentioned in this, but like all the two rivers folks and the people who they left with, like they are all part of this thing together. Cool. And as you go on in the books, like grand Matt Perrin, even though like a lot of things are happening to all of them and they aren't like their friendship is even, is is affected by this and they're kind of driven apart in a lot of ways by it, but they are set up to be a tripod in a lot of ways. And then like Egwene is part of it. Nynaeve is part of it. Like they're all, they're all integral to this thing. So like Rand is the central figure, but they are all, like, they are all needed for things to go the way that they need to go. Sure. Like he can't do, he can't do it alone. So I guess I, before we run out of time, I want to make sure I get like you. How long has it been since you read this book? I know you said you've re- probably read it four or five times, but so I, well, okay. So I think I've actually I've read the whole series all the way through, and keeping in mind that when I started reading, like all the way through, meant something different than it yeah. re- than it means now. <laughs> so I was first given this book for my sixteenth or seventeenth birthday, I think, by my friend Paul, who I haven't talked to in a long time, but I think he listens. So, Hi, like, Paul. So, hey, thanks for doing this to me, jerk. But I, when I started reading, I think the 10th book was the the one that had just come out. Like, it, it was recent enough that it was only out in hardcover still. Okay. Um, And then the second time I read it all the way through was when it was ending. Sure. I think I remember so like that. The, I remember you like doing the, that. Yeah. Like, the first Sanderson one came out, and... I read it and I was like, okay, I kind of enjoyed this, but I don't remember a lot of what was happening. And so in the run up to the, the penultimate one, I read it all again. And then I read the last one when it came out. So I haven't, I haven't read them all the way through, like as a complete thing. Like there was still like two years between reading the 13th one and the 14th one, 
but um yeah i would say i've read this one like probably three times maybe four now so what i wanted all of that to say i wanted to know reading this one for the show like how does it feel as a contained story and how does it feel as mostly as as set not mostly but how does it feel as set up for what i guess uh jordan thought was six books that turned into 12 (laughs) (laughs) it i think it feels pretty good as both because it does have you know it does have a beginning middle and end and it does have an ending that is that feels in in this book like it is an ending of something okay um something that like the question i've gotten the most in the run up to us recording this is like should i read this <laughs> and it's really complicated right so so my my answer is this book feels a little like this one especially feels very derivative of tolkien okay um, and then the next two are sort of similar in spirits in insofar as they are tracking a small band of of people of on a quest people who are yeah. who are who are kind of fighting against authority and also fighting against this dark one and and they are on a specific quest and they're going to solve the quest it's it's tough because the first six books so the first three are like these <laughs> fun like fantasy travelogue whatever's the second three become these more like if, if you enjoy Game of Thrones, you might like them a little bit more. They're these like bigger, more political books where like more rules are laid out and more like machinations are happening. But now it's like the machinations of multiple nations. Is that perhaps is that because like the stakes of the dark one are now like affected? Like, yeah. Yeah. OK. Just like the, the chess pieces have gotten bigger and the and what people stand to lose by responding or not responding to this threat. Okay. Yeah, like like the first ones are are more about all of these individual characters' journeys toward becoming what they what they need to be, mm-hmm. and that that still continues throughout the rest of the books. But that, like that's the biggest thread through these, and then the yeah the the next few just by nature of it being a big world thing and it not just being like, oh, Frodo throws the ring in the volcano and everything's done. Yeah, sure. It needs to be like there is an actual battle that's going to happen. You wanted to ask me a little bit about battle stuff, which let's do before we yeah, end. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like it's a big it's a big thing. And all of these like many of these nations hate each other anyway. And so they all need to be like unified under this one bat- banner like in time for the dark one to like get out or try to get out and then like be pushed back. Okay. Um, but then like the, the main reason I would tell people like, eh, I don't know if I can recommend this to you is like the middle section drags really, really bad in the the series, not in this book. Like, yeah. Books like seven to 11, like especially eight, nine and 10 drag a lot. And then, the last three books, Sanderson does a really good job with most of the characters, but the voice isn't quite right sometimes. And it also is a little like that last season of Game of Thrones where things are are happening at kind of a helter skelter pace because they have to because stuff has to end. Sure. So I think it does end in a satisfying way, but man, it's a big time investment. <laughs> it's a lot of time. So my question about war was like thinking about you asked me to kind of think about other fantasy books and I was thinking about Tolkien and I'm by no means a scholar but I know that there are like there are reads of those books 
that are certainly informed by the world wars and uh, like concerns about industrialization, especially even, you know, I think about how it was portrayed in the films also, but like pretty successfully in, in the films. Um, and like what I was wondering if there's anything in this book that you could point to that either felt similar to that or maybe generationally different like from someone who went through Vietnam or just a, a more modern under like we get into we go through Vietnam and then in the 90s we're in like Desert Storm and stuff and this is an American author also um, which separates it from some of the other fantasy canon like is there anything about anything different about how it's treating conflict and war either in this book or in the rest of the series that you can think about? I mean, I think if I, and I've, if I've read anything about this, it's been a super, super long time, but I, I do think that Jordan's experience in Vietnam, I, th- I think it informs both the way that individual battles and like fight scenes happen. Oh, sure. And in the way that wars happen throughout the series. So, so fights are, they're like they flow and like read quickly like nothing else in in any book I've ever read I don't think like like you just you get sucked into it and you need to keep reading it it's very it's very kinetic and messy and like people get wounded graphic pretty graphically sometimes um and you just like you feel every minute of it, and that's especially true of like the last book in the series, which I don't I don't know how much of that's Jordan and how much of it is Sanderson, but it it captures this this feeling of like what what my understanding of of Vietnam is, which is that it was a it's very much a like it, there there is a lot of new technology that is very bad, mm-hmm. like you know the Agent Orange and all that stuff. It is a story of like guerrilla, entrenched guerrilla forces against, you know, this sort of World War II or Korea era invading force, United yeah. United States armed force that just like it makes for a lot of messy battles and a lot of a lot of hard fought wins, I guess, depending on what you consider a win to be. And then on a macro scale, I think it's. You know, it's war doesn't always war is sometimes stupid or like mm, mm-hmm. war is sometimes not for a, a grand cause. Like it's just it's the reason why people are fighting is not is not super well understood. And it's it sometimes can it, it often feels pointless and, and like a waste. And I'm in that sense, I guess I'm reflecting like the popular conception yeah, of the yeah. vietnam war like i'm not trying to like belittle veterans or whatever no, no, but i no, think no. it's it is it's a conflict that that people aren't sure that you know the reason why we were over there mm-hmm. like actually did what we were aiming to do um the government lied to people for years and years and years about the reasons why like you know manipulated people into kind of supporting this and and backing it and sending and then like deliberately people shaming people who were against it and like really shutting that down which is very different from a we are fighting nazis like the yeah none none of it is messier than it than it's you know, put in pop culture, but still maybe, maybe by the end you get to a more Tolkien esque like these are the forces of good arrayed against the forces of evil. 
but in Tolkien, when someone is bad, it's almost always like super visually obvious that they're bad, right? Yes. Uh huh. Where in the Wheel of Time, like the thing you worry about the most are dark friends uh, who are just regular looking acting people who happen to be like in the thrall of of the dark one. So bots is what you're. They're like so bots, <laughs> yeah. like Russian bots. Um, and and yeah, there are all these monsters, but there are also all these people who. You know, they may or may not be your next door neighbor. Like, you might not know who they are. Mm. And that kind of uncertainty. To, yeah. Yeah. Like, that uncertainty and that suspicion is a lot of what drives the the conflict. Is like, none of like so many of these characters have trouble trusting anyone. And that is, that is more than anything. Sort of the, the tension is you have no idea who you can trust. Cause even like, aside from, like quote unquote good guys, like having different motives and like doing different things to like forward all those motives. You've also got these people who might just be lying to you and betraying you like every time you speak to them. Which like I think Tolkien tries to pay lip service to in fellowship, but after you get through there, like save for people wanting power. But usually it's like people who are already in power who are greedy enough to want more. Yeah, I guess like Saruman is probably the closest you get to somebody who's a real like turncoat of note. Yeah, there. But but anybody who's usually like in the thrall in that in that world is like physically afflicted by it, and they've like aged two thousand years. Yeah, or like even when you get to the scouring of the Shire at the end. Like the bad hobbits are all like dirty and nasty. <laughs> <It's> so weird. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So that's it's like things are less clear in this universe. It seems. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. And like, so I'm I'm reading the third book. Uh oh. Now. Uh oh. Because I might just be rereading these again. I might get to the middle part and decide to to tap out. I'm not sure. I'm gonna. I'm eventually gonna have to read other stuff also, which might interrupt me. It's. Jordan's prose is often like really descriptive and interesting, but he also leans on stock phrases mm. a lot. Like there's a lot of repeated language Okay, that gets worse as you get later in the series. Like I think he does a really good job making all the main characters have different perspectives and different voices. But once you get that out to like 200 different people having to have perspectives and voices, yeah, you're inevitably going to lean on some stock phrasings and and some things and it, it's going to get more repetitive. Like people grin wolfishly a lot. <laughs> like people routinely communicate small novels using just their eyes and their like facial expressions. Okay. That feels very like, Austin like though, so maybe it's fine. Yeah, it's just like people it reads like if you want to if if you're like a cool teen and you want to seem aloof mm. and you just want like you want your mood to reflect all the turmoil inside you and like everybody can just tell how deep you are because of the the way that you see you on the out like the way that you scowl at everything or whatever. The the book reads like what if everyone was actually like that and then everyone else actually could like tell what you were thinking and <laughs> like what your intentions were just by a momentary slip of a smile. What if you know? what if everyone's deep countenance like told their entire life story? What if your intense hard eyes told everyone <laughs> that you knew how to use the sword at your side? 
like people like people move as if a sword is part of them a lot. Like, oh yes, just, or like someone walks in a room and they've got like a nice looking coat on. And you're like, oh, he looks like he knows how to wear that coat. He must be a lord. Oh man. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I can see how when you have like twelve of these books that are all ten years long, like you're gonna oh, especially especially if you're binging them, yep. like it it becomes really obvious like the the kinds of like women like fold like crossing their arms under their breasts in frustration their breasts always what if they just fold their arms what if they just folded their arms was a thing that you could wonder Hmm. okay but like i i won't say the prose is always great i will say they are fun to read if you like this kind of thing but I don't think I can possibly be neutral about them because I was exposed to them at the like probably the optimal age for yes yep fantasy mm-hmm. which was like late teenagerhood after I had already read Tolkien six times and these so. are like wait when and this is maybe a question I should have asked very early on but they are like upper teens right they're like when they start the book they're like young lads they're like sixteen seventeen. Well, so the whole the whole series from beginning to end in terms of time is like maybe two and a half years. And it took 12 books. Yeah. How old are they when they start? They're like young. They're like barely adults. Okay. They're like 18, 19. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Like maybe, maybe not even that. Living at but, home. They got some student loans, but you know. But they're near marriageable age. Okay. Like sure. they're just on the cusp of adult adulthood. And... One of those years, more than one of that, those years is like covered by the, by like by the time you're at the beginning of the third book, a year has passed since the events of the first book. And then he was like, whoa, 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 slow it down. We've moved. So, yeah. So, like, fast. what, what happens is like between books like five and 11, you're just in like this endless six month summer, like this magical evil summer that won't ever end. And it's like it's a thing that's happening in the books, but it's also a thing that Robert Jordan is doing to you. <laughs> it's interesting because you describe the first three books and you're like, huh, that does sound like the first half of a series. Yeah. Weird. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Well, I'm glad that you're having fun with these books again. I hope maybe you I, I hope maybe you just like skip the middle books and just go read the end. If you're going to read them for the first time and you want, like, you get to, I would say read book seven and see how frustrated you are. If book seven frustrates you, read the Wikipedia summaries for eight and nine and 10 and then pick back up an 11 and you'll probably have a better time. Okay. Okay. Then you will. Like, nine in particular has a, it's so, because uh, nine has like a really important big scene at the end where some like huge world changing, like paradigm shifting thing happens. And then book 10 is just book nine from like different characters perspectives. And you don't even get to see what happens for most of it. It's like, what are you doing? Robert George, Robbie J. What is up? What is this? Anyway, I, I think that's like these, but I also have a hard time recommending that anybody else read them. Okay. You know, it's just, it's tough. I can't like full, I can't full throatedly recommend them. I think if you like Tolkien, if you like Song of Ice and Fire, if you like any sort of multi-book fantasy thing, try it. You should dabble, but not feel bad if you bounce. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's most, that's literally anything for the most part. It's literally like, anything. You don't have I, to I, read I've these gotten, books because we told you I've, to. 
I felt better about stopping watching shows that I'd hate like yeah, in man. the last like five years yeah. or something. That's like just... I'd stop watching This Is Us this year and I've never been happier about anything in my entire life. Wait, there are still scenes that are still good, but uh... they're they're messing with Randall in ways I don't love. Anyway, um, what is, uh, there are plenty of scenes I don't uh, need in that show to that much, but um, this is what us. If this, what if this man was perfect and we told you about it set to tinkly guitar music for 15 minutes? Yeah, perfect up until the moment he died. Spoilers. Um, if you want to write mm. to us about your favorite scenes from your the later books in the Wheel of Time series, um, email us at overduepod at gmail.com. Or take photos of them and send them to us on Facebook.com slash Overdue Pod and Twitter.com slash Overdue Pod. Just to to prove that you read those books, I think. Um, A lot of folks have been reaching out in in support of our recent episodes. uh, So thanks for spreading the word, um, including Ellen, Dion, Stephanie, Amber, Catherine, Allegra, Lori, Katie, Kira, Melissa, Kristen, Jessica, and many more. Um, hope y'all had a nice holiday if you celebrated a holiday in the last week. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Uh, they should uh, turn the wheel of time over to overduepodcast.com. And if you do that, you can turn on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and RSS feeds. You can subscribe to those. And every week when the wheel of time turns, you get a new episode. Um, if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, do rate and review us because that helps the dark one stay sealed in his prison. <laughs> we also have episodes about the um, books that we're going to be reading. We'll post our December schedule sometime this week. Yeah, the next thing that'll be on the feed is our uh, latest combo stop Homer time episode. That should be up on Friday of uh, the same week as this episode. Cool. Um, and we all, we've also got a link to our Patreon project. That's patreon.com slash overdue pod. Give us some money if you want. You don't have to, but it's nice. And then uh, we've got a new listener page that you can go to to find some episodes that we particularly like. Like if you're trying to introduce a friend to the show, these are places where we recommend that you start if you don't just want to start with like a book that you particularly love, which I think could be like a kind of a hit or miss proposition. Yeah. Um, so we don't we don't know what you're reading next week, right? We have an idea, sure. but we haven't finalized the schedule. So right. just well, come we'll back for over time. Yeah, yeah, we'll get we'll get back to you. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. As always, thanks for joining us on this. Remember November. It's been a good time. Yeah, I like this tradition. Yeah, it's fun. Um, and we'll we'll start coasting into the holiday season next week. So until we talk to you again, everyone, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.